Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, March 24th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Imagine trying to thread a needle with a rope. Pretty much impossible, right? I mean, it's hard enough to thread a needle with a piece of thread, much less a rope. But that's basically what the Federal Reserve is trying to do. It's trying to thread a needle with a rope. Or to put it another way, as I wrote in an article over at shiftgold.com news, the Fed is trying to walk a tightrope in a hurricane. And of course, I'm talking about this weird mix of policies, bank bailouts, and inflation fight happening at the same time, threading a needle with a rope. And as you can probably guess, I don't think very highly of the Fed's chance for success in this endeavor. So in the wake of the big bank crisis, the Federal Reserve held its March meeting this week. The FOMC did pretty much what I expected. It pushed forward with a quarter-point rate hike. Powell and company talked tough about slaying inflation, said there's more work to do. But reading between the lines, it's clear they set the stage for a pivot back to looser, easier monetary policy. And here's the reality. This inflation fight ended the moment the Fed bailed out the U.S. banking system. Everything that happened Wednesday All of the chatter about the Fed meeting, nothing but window dressing. So let's break all of this down. Wednesday's rate hike pushed the federal funds rate to between 4.75 and 5%. It was the ninth straight rate hike. Haven't seen rates this high since well before the 2008 financial crisis, as I've talked about before on this show. Uh, Rates peaked around this level in 2007. They were already coming down when the 2008 financial crisis happened. Now, I have to note that real interest rates are still negative by about 1%, and that's accepting the government CPI number of 6%. In reality, the CPI is probably double that. So interest rates remain deeply negative, real interest rates. And That's not enough to slay price inflation, right? You have to have real rates above the CPI in order to really do battle against inflation. We all know that Paul Volcker back in the 1980s had to take rates all the way to 20%. And I would argue that the inflation problem today is every bit as bad as it was back in the 70s and early 80s. Uh, The only difference being is that they've changed the way they measure, measure CPI to make it look better now than it was then. But really, again, when you get down to it, the monetary policy that the Fed is engaging in right now is at least modestly accommodating. It's certainly not tight by any real definition. That said, rates are certainly high enough to break things in an economy and a financial system that is built on easy money and artificially low interest rates. And we saw something break about two weeks ago with the failure of SVB and signature banks. I think I mentioned this last week, but CPI is still closer 
to last year's highs than it is to the 2% target that the Fed always talks about. As the FOMC statement put it, inflation remains elevated. So the Fed had little choice but to try to create the illusion that it's still all in on the inflation fight. But if you read the messaging in the statement closely and compare it to the past couple of statements, it's clear that the Fed is setting the stage to surrender to inflation. The FOMC statement indicated that, quote, the committee anticipates that some additional policy firming may be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. Note the words that I emphasized, the words some and may, very much less emphatic than the statement uh, that we got in the past couple of meetings. It also removed language from the statement saying that the committee expects ongoing increases. We saw that in the last couple of uh, Fed notes uh, that they were going to expect ongoing increases of rates. They replaced that language with a line saying the committee quote, will closely monitor incoming information and assess the implications for monetary policy. So, in other words, we don't really know what we're going to do. We're leaving the door open to do whatever. And this was widely viewed as a dovish indication that the Fed might close or might be close to the end of its rate hiking cycle. Um, I've actually seen some commentators say they've made the pivot uh, that, uh, you know, one one writer, I think it was Ryan McMakin over at the Mises Institute, said the Fed chickened out in the inflation fight. But again, if you, if you read it, you're kind of getting some mixed messaging. The statement emphasized that the committee is strongly committed to returning inflation to its 2% objective. Somebody asked me today, what's so magical about 2%? I can't answer that question. I don't think anybody can answer that question because it's basically a made-up number. It's the amount of inflation that they think they can get away with without people throwing too big of a fit is where I think they came up with 2%. But anyway, that's the target. Um, So again, you know, on the one hand, they're kind of being dovish. On the other hand, they're saying they're strongly committed to uh, fighting inflation. A little bit of mixed messaging. Uh, We're raising rates again. We're committed to returning inflation to 2%, but also we're hinting that we're about done tightening because of the reason. And the reason has to do with a financial system that is really teetering on the edge. But of course, they can't can't come out and tell you that. So they're just kind of uh, obfuscating. Now, this is kind of interesting. During the post-meeting press conference, Powell indicated that the banking crisis may actually help the Fed beat down inflation by tightening lending conditions uh, just kind of by default. So in other words, banks are struggling. uh, They're struggling with their capitalization. So therefore, they're going to tighten their lending standards. They're not going to lend out as much money. That's kind of the objective of of quantitative tightening. Uh, But then again, Powell said, maybe that won't happen. Here's exactly what he said. Quote, it's possible that these events will turn out to uh, to be very modest effects on the economy, in which case inflation will continue to be strong, in which case, you know, the path might look different. It is also possible that this potential tightening will contribute significant tightening in credit conditions over time. And in principle, that means that monetary policy may have less work to do. We simply don't know. We simply don't know are the most honest words to fall out of Jay Powell's mouth. Regardless, all of this word salad 
opens the door for a hard pivot whenever. Next meeting, meeting after that, um, as soon as they can plausibly do it, I think they're going to do the hard pivot. So here's my short summary of the Fed meeting. The 25 basis point rate hike was widely anticipated. With price inflation still running far above that 2% target, the Fed could not plausibly pivot and in rate hikes during this meeting. But make no mistake, the inflation fight again ended the moment the central bank created the bank bailout program. The collapse of SVB and Signature Bank were the first things to break as a result of Fed tightening, and they will not be the last. As I've been saying for months, and you know this if you listen to the show regularly, this was inevitable. This bubble economy, again, is built on artificially low interest rates and money creation. The Fed took some of that away when it started tightening monetary policy in order to fight price inflation. And in effect, the central bank has dug the foundation out from under the economy and the financial system. This economy and this financial system run on artificially low interest rates and money printing. The Fed took it away. You can't undermine a building's foundation without eventually causing the entire building to collapse. You know, it's pretty amazing and kind of funny, not funny haha, but funny sad, that I keep hearing people say, well, nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw this banking crisis coming. This was just out of left field. You know, that doesn't really reflect well on all of the experts out there. I mean, I saw it coming. And it's not like, you know, I'm I'm not Fed chair. I'm not Treasury secretary. As far as I'm concerned, it was like a freight train with a big bright light coming at us out of a dark tunnel. How nobody saw it coming just really demonstrates how little basic understanding of the business cycle and the impact of all of this Fed monetary policy actually has. They want to blame everything else. You know, it's all about regulation. In fact, during his press conference, Jerome Powell was talking about, we need to find the breakdown in regulation that caused this this catastrophe at SVB Bank. I'm paraphrasing. I don't think he said catastrophe, but you, you get the idea. He literally did say that we've got to look into the regulatory failure that happened, you know, get to the bottom of all this. I guarantee you they're not going to get to the bottom of the fact that, you know, holding interest rates at 0% for over a decade, uh, the way that blew up all of the bubbles and the way printing trillions of dollars during COVID and then handing them out in form of stimulus, you know, created price inflation. Most of it's their fault. They're not going to look at that. They're going to go on all of this weird peripheral regulation stuff. That's always the go-to with government people. Well, we had a failure of deregulation. We need more rules and more regulations. <sighs> no, you don't. But anyway, that's that's the way they roll. So, anyhow, ironically, let's get back to the uh, to the point at hand. Um, this is pretty ironic. The official FOMC statement asserted that the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient. And during his post-FOMC meeting press conference, Powell tried to paint the collapse of SVB and Signature Bank as, quote, an outlier. He actually used that word, outlier. And he said, these are not weaknesses that are at all broadly through the banking system. Now, this raises a question. If the U.S. banking system is sound and these two bank failures were outliers, why did the Fed feel the need to bail out the entire banking system? 
right? That's exactly what they did. The answer to that question is because everything that Powell said about the banking system is utter BS. It's simply false. The U.S. banking system is not sound. These incidents were not outliers, and uh, there are more problems coming down the pike. In fact, the collapse of SVB and Signature Bank were the tip of the iceberg. According to a Washington Post report, literally Hundreds of banks are at risk because the Fed rate hikes have decimated the value of bonds held by these banks on their balance sheet. According to the Post article, the capital buffer in the U.S. banking system totals about $2.2 trillion. Meanwhile, total unrealized losses in the system are between $1.7 and $2 trillion. Quoting the Post, Quote, in other words, if banks were suddenly forced to liquidate their bond and loan portfolios, the losses would erase between 77% and 91% of their combined capital cushion. It follows that large numbers of banks are terrifyingly fragile. Another indication that the banking system is in far worse shape than Powell and company are letting on is the fact that the Fed balance sheet increased by, get this, $300 billion in the first week of this bailout loan program. $300 billion is one hell of an outlier. So what's actually going on here? Now, I hate to call anything that the Fed does brilliant, But I gotta admit, this bailout scheme was pretty freaking brilliant. The Fed executed a shrewd mechanism to mitigate the impact of interest rate hikes on bank balance sheets without having to lower interest rates more broadly. In other words, they addressed the problem in the banking system that their rate hikes caused and they managed to do it without having to go and actually stop raising the Federal Reserve fund rate. So it was able to hike rates 25 basis points, but behind the scenes, it has uh, figured out a way to cleverly kind of paper over the problems that it's created in the financial system. I talked about this in depth last week, but it's worth recapping exactly how this loan program works and what it does. So when SVB and Signature Bank went under, that was the something breaking in the financial system. I've been talking about this for months. Again, you have a financial system and a broader economy that are built on artificially low interest rates. The Fed took those artificially low interest rates away to fight inflation. I said something was going to break. SVB and Signature Bank were the things that broke. But that was just the visible part of the breakage. There were more broken things kind of behind the scenes. Again, hundreds of banks basically in the same situation. So the Fed uh, said that it will allow other banks to easily access capital to, quote, help assure banks have the ability to meet the needs of all of their depositors. So they saw We all saw these two banks collapse, and the Fed said, okay, any other bank that's in that situation, we're going to create a way to basically bail them out. In effect, it was kind of a pre-bailout, bailout, right? There are hundreds of banks in the same situation that SVB and Signature Bank were in. So to prevent the failures from spreading, the Fed created a way out, or at least a way to kick the can down the road. And really, that's what this is. This is a kick the can down the road scenario, because technically these loans are only supposed to last a year, right? I think it's just trying to buy time. Um, 
But anyway, the bank term funding program is what this call is called, BTFP. And it's going to offer loans of up to one year in length to banks, savings associations, credit unions, other eligible depository institutions. And these entities will pledge U.S. treasuries, agency debt, mortgage-backed securities, other qualifying assets as collateral. Here's the key to all of this. Banks will be able to borrow against their assets at par, in other words, at face value. According to a Federal Reserve statement, the BTFP will be an additional source of liquidity against high-quality securities, eliminating an institution's need to quickly sell those securities in times of stress. That's key. Remember, I said that these bond portfolios have rapidly devalued as interest rates have risen. Interest rates and bond prices are inversely correlated. So as interest rates rise, the price of bonds, the value of bonds fall. So these bond portfolios dropped in value. The Fed has come along and it said, you know what? We're going to let you borrow at face value, not at the devalued level that the bonds are at now. I mean, dude, that's a heck of a deal, right? Imagine if you bought your house for $300,000, and then due to whatever market changes, whatever, the value of that house drops to $150,000. That's what you would get if you sold it, $150,000, right? So you're basically $150,000 underwater. Now imagine that a bank would come along and give you a $300,000 loan against your house that is now valued at $150,000. Nobody would do that, right? Nobody but the Federal Reserve, because this is exactly what the Fed is doing in practice. With this loan program in place, banks can access capital based on their devalued bond holdings without selling treasuries and mortgage-backed securities into the market at a big loss, as SVB was forced to do. This provides stability for both the banks and the bond markets. Banks, because they have access to capital, and the bond market, because you're not going to have these bonds being sold into the bond market, uh, increasing supply and further uh, tanking price. And here's the brilliant part, and I mean evil brilliance when I say brilliant. By creating a way to mitigate the impact of rate hikes on bank balance sheets, the Fed was able to raise interest rates Wednesday and make a show of staying in the inflation fight. It basically figured out a way to have its cake and eat it too. It can even keep shedding treasuries and mortgage-backed securities from its balance sheet, which is exactly what's happening. Meanwhile, the banks can avoid the pain by accessing this crazy loan program. In effect, again, it can have its cake and eat it too, at least for a little while. And, and it's interesting. If you look at the Fed balance sheet, you'll see that while it went up by $300 billion in one week, that was the, the increase in the Fed balance sheet the first week of this program, its treasury and mortgage-backed security holdings actually fell modestly. That's because, as I explained last week, the bonds banks are pledging as collateral don't go on the Fed's balance sheet unless the bank defaults. So they're holding these as collateral but technically, the banks still own them, so they don't show up on the Fed's balance sheet. As of now, the increase in the balance sheet is all in the loans category, if you go actually look at the balance sheet. Now, keep in mind, a loan, from an accounting standpoint, is an asset to the lender, the Fed. So that's why the balance sheet is going up. It's not taking in more treasuries or mortgage-backed securities yet. Now, if the banks default, they're going to end up holding all of these devalued bonds on their balance sheet. But for now, the big increase is in loans. So here's what I think. 
I think Powell and company are hoping this lone boondoggle will buy them time to keep up the pretense of tightening for a little while longer in the hope that the CPI will drop enough in the next couple of months to claim victory over inflation, and then they can pivot without losing face. This is all about not losing face, right? For months and months. We're in this inflation fight for good no matter what happens. We're raising rates. Well, then something happened, and it's like, oh, crap. So now they're trying to figure out a way to to maneuver this in such a way as to not lose face, as to pretend like they're still fighting inflation uh, and, and, you know, patch up the financial system and do all of these things at the same time. As I put it at the top of the show, they're trying to thread a needle with a rope. And make no mistake, no matter what Powell says, no matter what the other Fed bankers say, no matter what the guys on CNBC and MSNBC and Fox Business say, this inflation fight is over. You don't fight inflation by handing banks $300 billion of money that was created out of thin air. And that's where the money for this program comes from, right? They're creating it with a few keystrokes. It is, in effect, just like quantitative easing. Quantitative easing, they create money out of thin air and buy bonds. In this case, they're creating money out of thin air and loaning banks money based on uh, the face value of bonds that have been devalued. So, you know, it's just ridiculous to, to even think that they're still really serious about fighting inflation because they're not, right? Don't forget, the purpose of monetary tightening in an inflation fight is to squeeze liquidity out of the system. This loan program does the exact opposite. It injects liquidity into the system. It is the exact opposite of inflation fighting. It is literally creating inflation. Furthermore, it's only a matter of time before something else breaks in the economy or the financial system. Uh, you know, It's not a guarantee that this is going to shore up these banks, but even if it does, something else is going to break. You know, Banks aren't the only things being impacted by increasing interest rates. Corporations levered to the hilt. Federal government continues to borrow and spend. It's running up debt. Interest rate uh, interest rates moving higher, big problem for the Treasury. American consumers have buried themselves under record credit card debt. The entire economy is based on debt, which was created because of artificially low interest rates. I cannot emphasize that enough. The Fed has created this issue by raising rates. They have created a an economic and financial environment where things are going to break because it's taken away the lifeblood of the economy and the financial system. And remember, the Fed just raised rates again. So if you listened to the show last week, you'll recall my image of a guy trying to plug holes in a dam. Uh, A listener actually sent me a video that illustrates it perfectly. It's not what I was thinking of, but it is absolutely perfect. It was the beginning of the movie Ice Age, one of the Ice Age movies, uh, where the squirrel pulls a nut out of an ice dam, and then it starts leaking, and the squirrel's trying to plug the holes with his fingers and his toes and even his tail. The Fed may have managed to get a finger in one crack in the dam, for now, but it won't be long before another hole appears, and then another, and then another, and it's only a matter of time before the Fed has to abandon the pretense of an inflation fight pivot and start cutting interest rates. In other words, inflation has won. Plan accordingly. I also want to emphasize something that I think is important. 
you know, I talk about the fact that the Fed raising interest rates broke things and will continue to break things in the economy because the economy is addicted to artificially low interest rates. The problem, though, isn't really that the Fed is raising interest rates. The problem is that it held interest rates so low for so long, 0% for over a decade after the 2008 financial crisis, and then taking back to zero again, running quantitative easing program you know, that added 4 or $5 trillion to the Fed balance sheet. That's the problem. It's created all of this artificial stimulus, which led to malinvestments and misallocations and too much debt, too much leverage in the economy. All of that was because of the Fed policy. When it tried to undo that, it's inevitable that it's going to break. All of those misallocations and and all of that leverage comes unwound once that extreme artificial monetary policy is taken away. In reality, we really need interest rates to go up. We really need for all of this to get cleansed out of the economy so that we can start over fresh, but that's painful. And politicians don't do pain, right? So they're not going to do the right thing. If history has taught us anything, it has taught us that the Fed will sacrifice the dollar. It will sacrifice the inflation fight. It will allow inflation to keep going in order to rescue the economy, the stock market, the financial system, etc. It stepped in to rescue the banks with this loan program. It was clever enough to do it in a way where people who don't know any better can say, well, this isn't really the same as 2008. And it's not the same, but it's the same. It's the same fundamental sickness, right? So, as I said, plan accordingly. You know, one thing this banking crisis should remind us of is the fact that if you can't hold it in your hand, you don't really own it. That's why it's wise to hold at least some of your wealth in hard assets like gold and silver that are in your direct possession or at least stored in a secured, allocated, segregated, and insured storage facility. Now, it appears that bank deposits are now insured to infinity. You know, the FDIC bailed out both of the uh, the depositors at Signature Bank and SVB, and that set the precedent. So, uh, in in at least principle, I think all deposits are guaranteed because how can it go to the next bank that fails and say, well, we're not going to back your people up. Uh, SVB people, they were more special and you don't get it. No, of course, they've set the precedent. In fact, there are movements in place to try to uh, raise that FDIC insurance. So, you know, that's nice. Bank deposits insured to infinity. But do you really trust the government insurance program to protect you? And, you know, even if your deposits are safe from bank failures uh, or, you know, you're not worried about them shutting down ATMs or putting withdrawal limits or anything like that, your bank deposits sure as heck aren't safe from the devaluing impact of inflation. Even if you keep your deposits, you won't be able to buy as much with those dollars tomorrow as you can today. The fact is, when you put your money in a bank, you create what is known as counterparty risk. In a nutshell, this is the risk that a person or institution on the other side of a transaction might not fulfill its obligation, i.e., the bank doesn't have the money to return your deposit, or the FDIC decides, eh, we're not going to do this insurance thing, or, you know, oh, we're going to have withdrawal limits. You can only get $500 out of the bank in a 
a given day or month or whatever. That's counterparty risk. You can't control what the counterparty might do or how the counterparty might fail you. You know, and even if you pull all of your money out of the bank and stuff it under your mattress, you still have counterparty risk, right? Mises Institute President Jeff Deist explained it this way. He said, quote, even if you manage to withdraw all of your money in physical cash from banks tomorrow and you put it in your well-guarded safe at home, you're still a creditor to the Fed and to the U.S. Treasury. You still basically hold IOU paper with the risk for loss. It is possible that fiat dollars could go to zero. Now, I'm not predicting that that's going to happen tomorrow, but it's certainly within the realm of possibility that the dollars continue to rapidly devalue, given the fact that they're creating them, uh, you know, just basically running the printing press in order to bail out banks. The only thing I would change about what Jeff said was instead of saying there's a risk of loss, there's a certainty of loss when it comes to dollars and inflation. Now, gold and silver, they carry no counterparty risk. They are tangible assets that you can literally hold in your hand. They can be bought and sold all over the world. Their value is recognized globally. While the price of gold or silver may fall, it may fall a lot. It will never fall to zero. Precious metals can't default on their payments. They can't commit fraud. They can't go bankrupt. Gold and silver carry virtually no counterparty risk. That's why it's a great thing to hold in your portfolio. It is a wealth preserver and a risk mitigator. So if you've been thinking about diversifying part of your wealth into gold or silver, now is the time. I really think gold is significantly undervalued right now, given the fact that we know we're still in a high inflationary environment and we know that the Fed is essentially surrendering to inflation. And at some point, the rest of the market, the mainstream is going to realize this and there's going to be honest price discovery. You know, on Thursday, gold briefly cracked the very significant $2,000 an ounce resistance level. Now, it couldn't hold that. I think it closed at about uh, 1993, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, And we'll see what it does on on Friday. It's really been, that's really been kind of the ceiling. It hits that $2,000. $2,000 mark and and all of the cells come in. It's not been able to breach that. I think once it breaches $2,000 and holds it, I think you're going to see a very quick run up to, you know, 2,100, 2,200. That's that's just a significant um, resistance level and it's being tested now. So basically what I'm saying is now is the time to act. Gold is still relatively inexpensive. Silver is on sale, especially if you look at the uh, silver gold ratio. So talk to a shift gold precious metal specialist. Call 1-888-GOLD-160. Email info at shiftgold.com, or you can just go to shiftgold.com. You can click on the Getting Started tab on the website. You can chat online with a precious metal specialist, and they'll look at your investment strategy, your portfolio, uh, what you're looking to do, what you can afford to do, and they'll help you figure out how precious metals can fit into your investment wealth preservation strategy. So do that today. And with that, we're going to call it a gold wrap for this week. Of course, you can get more details on everything that I've talked about and more. Keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. And if you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. You'll find links to all of this stuff 
over on the show notes page. You can email me, mmahary, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shipful.com. Love hearing from folks uh, like the gentleman who sent me the video. Um, I get a lot of good ideas from folks who send emails, so I always appreciate hearing from everybody. So you can do that. I hope you have a really, really fantastic weekend. As always, I very much appreciate the fact that you've taken time out of your day to listen to the show. I'll be here again next Friday. Have a good one.